Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. We lined up the sound of gunfire in different videos and using the hour, minute and second these clips were recorded, we mapped over 30 videos on a timeline covering the entire event. More evidence will emerge and this is not the definitive picture. But this reconstruction puts you, the viewer, at the concert. We show what it must have felt like to be caught in a rampage, not knowing where to run or when the next round of bullets would come. And our wide-ranging investigation reveals what unfolded minute by chaotic minute. The gunman's 12 bursts into the festival crowd, his targeting of police and the lulls in his shooting that allowed concert goers a chance to flee. All right, that's from uh, a remarkable video, a remarkable piece of journalism uh, by the New York Times in trying to piece together what happened that horrible night in Las Vegas. And 58 people were murdered, hundreds more injured. At the hands of Stephen Paddock, it was firing uh, from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel uh, down onto a crowd below gathered for this, this country music festival. There have been a lot of questions, obviously, about uh, the timeline here, exactly what happened. Certainly a lot of focus on the security guard at the Mandalay Bay who had uh, responded to uh, an alarm that, that went off, apparently, because uh, Stephen Paddock had uh, barricaded or propped open, I guess, uh, one of the doors in the stairwell. And so did that speed up his plans? Did that force him to start shooting before he had planned on, on shooting? What about the police response? When did the police respond? Was it a slow response? So there have been all of these questions. But in terms of what this investigation has done, in, in taking all of the, the video that's out there as much as they could find uh, and trying to match it up so we get a clear understanding of what happened, what time did this all begin, uh, how many bursts of gunfire were there? What about these lulls in between? And it's frightening to think that this could have been a lot worse. So again, as you heard in the clip, this is not the definitive final word on exactly what happened, but I think it really adds a lot to our understanding. Joining us to talk more about it, Malachi Brown joins us, a senior story producer with the New York Times, specializes in social journalism, uh, journalism with a focus on international reporting and breaking news. Much more, obviously, at nytimes.com. Malachi, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Uh, I mean, as I say, this this is quite something. I guess we would almost call this like a, a forensic approach to putting together a story. I, I, explain how you go about doing something like this. Well, you know, you alluded to the, the changing uh, timelines and the shifts in the details that emerged after Las Vegas. And, um, you know, in the absence of evidence being provided to us from the authorities, you know, we went about um, gathering as much information as we possibly could and a lot of um, that evidence lay in the cell phone footage that dozens of people continued to film um, through that assault. Um, and really what we did was, was we gathered as much of that by searching across social platforms and downloading what we could from wire services like the AP and Storyful um, and breaking it all down, stripping down all of the evidence uh, trying to detect patterns, as I outlined in the in the bursts of gunfire, and seeing what we could stitch together. The all of the videos themselves, you know, they they really painted how horrific and chaotic it was, and there were various scenes of people fleeing, as we all saw in the breaking news following that awful night. But you know, we wanted to create some structure around it so we could draw insights from the available visual evidence. Mm-hmm. 
So in total, there, there were 12 bursts of gunfire. And as, as you yeah. see some of these videos and, and how horrifying it is for people and, and you hear gunshots, I mean, gunshots sound like gunshots. How do you go about uh, analyzing these videos and realizing, well, this video depicts the second burst as, as does this video, for example? Yeah. Well, as I was watching all of the footage and we gathered well over an hour of footage, video alone, and then there are about two hours of audio, um, I started to jot down notes about the characteristics of each burst of, of fire, the length uh, of each burst, um, the pattern within it, because sometimes there are breaks when a bullet jams or the, the gunman takes his finger off the uh, the trigger. Um, and, uh, you know, intervals in between bursts as well. And I, I noticed that there were patterns between different videos. One video might cover the fifth to the ninth burst, another one for the second to the fourth burst. Um, and we laid out all of those videos using our editing software here and stripped out the audio waveform and then lined up the audio to match video by video, burst by burst, where each one lay. And that allowed us to reconstruct using around 30 videos the entire 10 minutes from multiple different angle, angles around um, the venue, over at the hotel, on the streets outside where the police were responding. Well, and that's that's a part of this video, and I think it's an important part of the story. When police became aware of what was happening, their response to it, and, and for them, obviously, it was a very dangerous situation because they, too, were in the line of fire. What were you able to conclude about how and when police responded? Yeah, I mean, the what we know from the... Um, official um, statements is that when the security officer Jesus Campos arrived uh, on the 32nd floor and, and was shot as he left um, that stairwell adjacent to the room, he radioed downstairs and according to the hotel uh, police who were already in the building um, at, a, at a, a different event uh, started to respond with armed security officers in the hotel at that time and we believe that that is according to our reporting around 10.06 um, and that is around the time that the the um, the full-on assault began on the on the crowd as well. And uh, we know from the police timeline that um, they arrived on the 31st floor uh, six to seven minutes later at 10:12. Um, I suppose there will be questions about uh, why the police went to the 31st floor. I'm sure that will come out in the um, the investigation and may come under scrutiny again. A lot more footage will come out. I expect that. CCTV inside the hotel and um, more police body cam footage will be released. We don't know for sure, but one would expect that that will happen. Um, so, um, you know, we can we can use the audio scanner as well, the police scanner, to understand what was going on outside. We can see that, for instance, at 10.08 in one video, a, a police car arrives along Las Vegas Boulevard. A minute later, there's a pod of police moving in the direction of the Mandalay, and there's more police set up on the street outside. A couple of minutes after that, we can hear the gunman aiming at the police there. They come under fire, and over the scanner, we hear an offer, a call for an officer shot. Um, and you can tell also we were curious about that particular time because in the festival, <clears throat> there's a there's a, a particular sound uh, of a bullet passing by. It's like a small little crack when a bullet makes a supersonic boom, uh, breaks the sound barrier, and uh, the thud of the retort, and we could tell that he wasn't aiming at the festival at that time, so what was he aiming at? And then the, the police body cam footage lined up with that particular moment, as did the police scanner, so the various distractions that the gunman had 
almost certainly saved lives in there, be it aiming at the police, aiming down the hallway multiple times um, at Jesus Campos and Stephen Shook, the engineer who joined him in that hallway. Right, because as you know, there's one point in the video where, and, and you get the information from the police scanner. Police are in the building, but uh, I think a lot of people who were downstairs in front of the hotel, they didn't realize that, and so there was a lot of confusion that what, why, why are the police here? Where are the police? So police had actually yeah. gone up to to the 31st floor, but it seems a lot of people uh, in front of the building they they weren't even aware of that. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing that just you know you know, a few hundred feet from where this chaos was unfolding, that everything appeared to be normal apart from these blasts of gunfire. And you can hear that in the narration of this video that uh, taxi driver Corey Langdon filmed, a very long video, and she covered um, half of the event. And, um, and, and she's asking, where are the police at? And there are people lounging at the entrance. Um, there must have been difficulty in getting across there because... You know, as we also hear in the police scanner, it it was a horrible cover spot. He was firing directly above the entrance and over the lines of these cabs um, into the festival crowd. So it must have been dangerous to try to get in there. So there are a lot of questions, as you say. I mean, maybe some questions we'll never know the answer to why there were these these, um, longer interludes between these shooting bursts. Uh, You know, what, what was he doing in between? Uh, we saw the story today. In fact, the you know questions about what happened to his laptop. What did he do to the hard drive? Uh, obviously, there are people who are wondering how the police responded or how the the hotel handled it. But what what stands out to you as as some of the mysteries uh, around what happened? Yeah, I mean, certainly what he was doing um, within that time frame. Um, how it took so long for the police to arrive up there and why they went to the thirty first floor. I think, as I said, that will come under scrutiny. Um, you know, the obvious question to me, uh, you know, as much as we can scrutinize what the police were doing is how this person managed to amass such an arsenal of weapons um, and how that isn't a bigger debate in the U.S. at the moment is something that baffles me, you know, being I'm from Ireland and I, I cannot understand how this isn't a bigger issue. Um, 58 people killed. Um, so that's, that's another question. Um, I think when the final bullet count comes out, maybe that will resurrect that, that, that issue. Um, and just the relentlessness of the, uh, of the assault is something that really stood out to me when I started to examine each of these videos. You know, the second, third and fourth burst of fire come within 70 seconds and the gunman unloads close to 300 rounds in that, um, in that time. And, um, you know, it, it really is relentless. Um, and I think one of the questions that will be asked is, you know, how, how, what can be done to stop that from happening again? Yeah. And, and also, too, and I mean, a note on, on taking this kind of approach to journalism, because as you note in your story, this has been done by uh, international human rights groups before and in, in piecing together what's happened in, in places like Syria. It's, it's a remarkable new tool that, that journalists have now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, as we think of journalism and information is is the raw ingredient of journalism Um, and we just now have such an array and there's never been more information available through videos on the open web multiple social media platforms Um, and you know it really can enhance what we can learn through traditional approaches and traditional sources and eyewitnesses Um, and that's what we set about doing in this instance is what is all of the available information um, and how can we build a structure and, and draw patterns and insights from it? 
Well, it's fascinating stuff. Much more at nytimes.com. Malachi, thanks uh, so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. All right. Malachi Brown, senior story producer with The New York Times. Uh, so this is, um, well, in large part his work, but of course a lot of people uh, helped out on, on this investigation. Uh, but you can find the piece at nytimes.com, reporting on Las Vegas, pixel by pixel. Ten minutes, 12 gunfire bursts, 30 videos. Uh, so they put together uh, an 11-minute piece uh, explaining how this all played out and, and with the timeline on top as it all unfolds. Uh, and so it is odd, some of these moments, where you do have 12 bursts of gunfire. Some are much longer than others. And in between some of them, there are some long delays, which did allow, in some cases, more people to flee. This could have been, as bad as it was, a lot worse. So what was happening? Why was he having gun issues? Was he distracted by something inside? What else was going on? I mean, there's so much just about the gunman himself that just seems so weird and mysterious. And maybe we'll never fully understand why he did what he did. Uh, anyway, our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Uh, a lot more still to get to in this hour. We're back with more right after this. But welcome back. I want to play a little bit more from this uh, New York Times video that they put together. So, uh, you know, these days where, look, everybody's got a camera. He's got all kinds of different angles and sources for what happens. So it, it becomes pretty clear how this all played out once you can put it all together. And you can match up these videos with each other because you're going to have different angles of what is essentially the same thing. And it really allows someone who's willing to put the time in, you know, to piece together exactly what happened. And so that's what we have here, a pretty much to the second account of when the shooting started, when it ended. So here's a little bit more from this video. They direct fleeing concert goers back into the venue and away from gunfire. Then Paddock fires a fifth burst. It's around 22 bullets in three short volleys. We hear this same burst from a different angle, at the Mandalay, where cab driver Corey Langdon was filming. Here's what it sounds like up close. Our reporting suggests that Paddock was positioned directly above the camera at this point. Then, just 40 seconds later, you can hear very dull and hollow gunfire. Now it sounds like it's coming from um, farther away. These rounds were not picked up by cameras recording in the festival at this time. That, plus our additional analysis, suggests this is Paddock firing indoors again, possibly toward Campus and Shook, who are still in the hallway. This lull in shooting outside lasted just over a minute and allowed more people to flee. But then, a sixth burst of fire. All right, and it, you know, as you can tell, I mean, it really puts into perspective just how horrifying this was for people who didn't know what was happening, didn't know where the shots were coming from, didn't know where to hide. You know, once uh, there was a lull in the shooting, do you stay there? Do you run? When are the next shots coming? It was, it's quite horrifying. Uh, and certainly this video drives that point home. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary. 
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.